Tonight I want to talk about the importance of a name. And before I actually begin, I was trying to think of some kind of graphic that would represent the importance of a name. And one of the things that I thought was perhaps as important to illustrate that as any is the idea of signing a check. If at the top of the check it says John Doe and you sign the check John Smith or Joe Smith, if the bank recognizes it, they're not going to honor that check because it doesn't have the authorized or the appropriate name on it. When you study what we're going to consider tonight from Acts chapter 4, you recognize the importance of a name. No one wants their name to be mispronounced. I know Coretta has trouble with people sometimes knowing how to pronounce her name. There are others who have names that their parents gave them that have so many vowels in it, it's hard to know how to properly pronounce them. But no one wants their name forgotten either. They don't want anyone to forget who they are because names are important. But it seems strange that in religion people act as if there is nothing in a name. For instance, I speak with people all the time as we're, we're trying to talk about the Bible and we're trying to talk about the church. And I will have people quite frequently say to me, who may be a part of this denominational group or that denominational group, oh, but you know there's nothing really in a name. And so for that reason, they attend churches that are named after Martin Luther or named after the community in which they live, a community church. Or they, name, they are named after some other thing. You see, it is important when you start thinking about names. If you look at Acts chapter 4, you realize the context was building here. The gospel had been preached in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people obeyed the gospel that first Pentecost after the Lord's resurrection. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. They heal a man at the gate called Beautiful. That opens the door for them to preach the gospel to other people. You get to Acts chapter 4, and now the number of the disciples has grown to be 5,000. Folks, that's a tremendous explosion in growth and the Jewish leadership does not know how to deal with this because Jesus is the name in which they are preaching. And they're putting these men on the spot. And they're asking them, why are you speaking in this name? And chapter 4 verse 12 says, their response was, nor is there salvation and any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh, what a powerful verse that is as it addresses it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I want to prove to you that in the Bible a name is significant. I want us to look just primarily as a sort of a survey of names that were given in the Bible. And we're not going to look at them all, just sort of a sampling of them. Then number two, I want us to look at the special name given to Jesus. 
Why is that name so precious, so important, so significant? Why is it that we speak of the church of Christ, or the church of our Lord, the church of Jesus? And then finally, how do I secure the name Christian? How do I get to be called by that family name? Let's talk about, first of all, these names that were important in the Bible. Because you can begin at the very beginning and you can find the names given to the first man and the first woman. Adam means man. Woman means taken out of man, Genesis 2.23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Chapter 3, verse 20 And Adam called his wife Eve. The name Eve simply means living because she was the mother of all living. It doesn't take long as you continue on. You are introduced to a man by the name of Abram. Very important man in the Old Testament. All those promises that funnel through him that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. His name, his given name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. Genesis 17, verse 5 and verse 15. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Verse 15, then God said to Abram, and as for you, Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. You see, those names were significant. You're not going to be exalted father. Now you're going to be a father of many nations, a father of a multitude of people. Isaac's name also had meaning, meant laughter. You get to Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed. You remember as the children were born, the names of these twins were Esau and Jacob. But Jacob grabbed a hold of Esau's foot, and they named him Supplanter. Because he held on to Esau's foot. But when you get to Genesis chapter 32 verse 28. And he said, that is God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, God changed names because those names had significance to them. It's not just the Old Testament either. When you get to the New Testament, there one of the fishermen, brother of Andrew, his name was Simon. Father's name was Jonah. And Simon, when he started serving with the Lord, the Lord changed his name. Mark 3 and verse 16, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Or if you're reading John's account and you're, you're looking at a Greek versus Aramaic, And they brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. The word Cephas means the same thing as Peter. Both of them mean a stone. So you have Peter's name. We call him Peter because that's what the Lord named him. You start looking in the Bible, you start seeing people were given names due not only to the Lord giving them, but you have names that were significant because of the way people acted. For instance, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, 
Jesus called them sons of thunder. You think about that for just a little bit. Sons of thunder. In Mark 3, verse 17, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. You might wonder, why, how did they deserve that? You go to Luke 9, and verse 54, and with the disciples, James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down out of heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? I can see these two guys. They're just all full of themselves. Lord, do you want us to burn them up? Of course, you know what the Lord's response was to them. You don't know what spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But it's not long that you keep reading through the Bible and you find out there's a man by the name of Joseph. But we don't remember him as Joseph. Acts 4 verse 36, And Joseph, who was also surnamed or also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. Barnabas was the kind of guy that was not like James and John. He was the encourager of the bunch. And they gave him what we would call a nickname. Those names reflect a person's personality. But you have to realize sometimes God chose names and people may have thought otherwise. Real interesting situation happens in Luke chapter 1. You have the birth of John the Baptist. And if you'll notice Zacharias in chapter 1 and verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard, or is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He leaves unable to speak. When John is born, they're all trying to decide, what are they going to name him? Well, we're going to name him John. Oh, no, 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 you can't name him John. Nobody else in the family has been named by that name. Why don't we call him Zacharias after his father? No. You get to verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. See, God chose that name. Zacharias honored God by doing what God told him to do. But I could spend a lot of time talking about the names of all these people in the Bible, the significance of them. But there's one name that is above every name that is the most important name, the most significant name that Acts 4 verse 12 highlights. And that's the name Jesus the Christ. Listen to Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11. In the first part of that he emphasizes how Jesus suffered, how he divested himself of all the glory of heaven, gave himself for the sacrifice of man. And then Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Folks, that is so profound. You shouldn't just let that go in one ear and out the other or one pass in front of your eyes without the significance of that. Everybody's knee will bow. Everybody's tongue will confess. You can say, well, what about those atheists? 
What about those people who are godless in this world? Their knees will bow and their tongue will confess. It won't be to salvation, but it will be in recognition of the fact that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, verse 18. You see, the truth is, His name was given that place. That's a special one. It has significance. When He was born, it was said in Matthew 1, verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. That's the specialness of His name. That's the divine giving of His name. Someone says, well, what about Christ? You actually should put the word the in front of it because the Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah that is promised from the Old Testament. But the given name, the name that God named, was the name of Jesus. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. That's what the Bible teaches. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You drop down, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, what a powerfulness of that prophecy. Chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So many aspects to this person called Jesus. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, as we begin our study of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 4 in the Monday morning Bible class, there will be an emphasis on the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels. And the statement is made, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Are angels great? Absolutely. Are they powerful? Most certainly. Are angels exalted? Yes, they are, but nothing in comparison with Jesus. Because of that, honor and respect should be given to the name of God. I could take a tangent now and talk about all the euphemisms, but I've addressed that recently. We could talk about how the world today does not respect God's name at all. But let me point out to you that Exodus 20 verse 7 still said, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Or Psalms 8 verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And Jesus giving the model prayer in Matthew 6 verse 9 says, In this manner therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make it respectful. If the name of the Father should be respected, the name of the Son must also be respected.
Now, when you start thinking about that special name, that name then is transferred to the believers of Jesus the Christ. When I go to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 5, and chapter 62 and verse 2, Isaiah, with his eyes peering forward by means of prophecy, says, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Chapter 62, verse 2 says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. It's going to be given by God. It's not a term of derision. Some people say, well, maybe the name Christian was a name they gave to people to deride them, to uh, disrespect them. No, no, no. That's the name the Lord gave. Acts 11 and verse 26, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. When James writes in chapter 2, verse 7, Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Notice it's the noble name. It's the name of Jesus, the Christ. And he says, they blaspheme that name that you're called by. 1 Peter 4, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name. Now for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about securing this name. I want to wear this name, but in order to wear it, I have to do something. You know, I could call myself by a number of different names, but that wouldn't make me that. In John 1 and verse 12, the very opening of the Gospel of John, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in his nature, you don't believe that who he said he was, You can't be a child of His. You've got to believe in His name. If you do, He gives you the right to become a child. When Paul is imprisoned in Caesarea, the second governor had us arisen by the name of Festus. He's called in King Agrippa because King Agrippa was a well educated man with regards to the Jewish customs. He knew the Old Testament law. He knew what the prophet said. He was well versed in all of this. And Paul is presenting his case to him and he asks him the question, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I want to focus in on verses 27 through 29. King Agrippa said, or he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost 
and altogether such as I am except for these chains. Some people want to say that Agrippa is, is somehow being sarcastic. Paul, do you think with just a little bit of persuasion you can persuade me? Paul says, I am trying my best to persuade you that you need to be what Agrippa recognized. He knew the name a Christian. In order for him to be a Christian, he was going to have to do something. He was going to have to believe in Christ. He was going to have to repent of his sins. He's going to have to change his life. He's going to, have to be baptized for the remission of his sins. Which brings up the idea there's two ways that a person acquires a name. About 59 years ago, last week, in Rockford, Illinois, Foy and Helen Lawrence had a little boy. And I got a copy of that first birth certificate. And it has on their family name. My last name was acquired because I was born into a family. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh, you're talking about then when I am born into God's family by being baptized for the remission of my sins and my changed my spirit. Oh, yes, that's what he's talking about. When Paul wrote the Galatians, he said in chapter 3, verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Oh, you mean when a person's baptized, then they take on the name? Absolutely, because that's when they're born into God's family. It doesn't matter if they're Jew or Greek, they're bond or free, they're, they're male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. You're of Christ, you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But you know, there's another way that names were acquired. And of course, I, I could have pointed out that adoption is the same as birth and you can be adopted into God's family, and Paul uses that figure in the book of Romans. But I want to point out another way, and one which the Bible uses, and that is the church is the bride of Christ. And when you think about the bride of Christ, one of the things that you will notice is, is that a bride takes her husband's name. Now, someone says, well, that doesn't happen much today, or it's not happening today. But that's been something from old times. For instance, in Isaiah 4, verse 1, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food, and we'll wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. You see, women were in so need of trying to have respect that seven women would go after one man and say, we just want you to be our husband. We want your name. 
We want to wear your name. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen of the righteous acts of the saints. Oh, what a picture that you have there. Quite frequently, whenever I'm asked to perform a wedding ceremony, after the husband is then kissing his bride, I'll generally have them to turn around and say, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. And use their last names. You see, the wearing of the name is very important. Now let's go back to Acts 4 verse 12. The question about the name of Christ and salvation is important in Acts 4 verse 12 because Peter says there is no other name. And when I think about no other name, that leads me to the fact that I can't be saved in the name of Martin Luther or John Calvin or Muhammad or Alexander Campbell or Thomas Campbell, whichever one of the Campbells you want to talk about. I can't be saved in any man's name. I was reading this afternoon and I thought of a very interesting statement. Some people says they, they're so disillusioned and they gave up on church. And the guy points out that's because they put their confidence, their faith in the people rather than the Savior. You put your confidence and your faith in the Savior and you won't give up on Him. You'll never become disillusioned with Him. His is the only name that you can trust. You don't follow a preacher. You don't follow any man. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ and it's His name that you wear. I want to finish with Matthew 1 verse 21 again. I think so significant. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now the question tonight is for you Are you a Christian? If you have not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins, you are not a Christian. You may be a believer, and in that case you have the right to become one. John 1 verse 12. You know, when we sing the invitation song, it's not just a custom It's not just a tradition that we follow. It's actually giving the Lord's privilege for those of us who want to become Christians to become one. But now let me ask another question. Are you honoring that noble name by which you are called? When you go to work tomorrow, are you going to be honest? Are you going to tell the truth? Are you going to be uh, the kind of person that honors the name of Christ? Or are you going to be the person that when you walk out of the room, the people are going to say, did you know he claims to be a Christian? If your life right now does not reflect the Lord, then you need to be restored. You need to change 
your goals. You need to change your intention. You need to say, I don't ever want to bring shame and reproach upon the name of the Lord. And if I have, I'm going to make it right. If you need to respond, would you come together as we stand and sing?